My name is Reverend Dr. Sally Douglas and I'm the minister at Richmond Uniting Church and you're welcome here. You're welcome if you're a part of Richmond Uniting Church or if you've connected with us occasionally or if this is the first time you've ever joined us. And you're welcome today if you're full of faith or if you're exploring issues of faith or you're wrestling with issues of faith or if right now doubt is pumping through you. As we say at Richmond Uniting each week in worship, you're welcome here. Please participate as much or as little as you feel able. As we enter into this time of worship, I just want to let you know a few things. So if you would like to pause the recording at any point because something has struck you and you need time in more prayer or you need time to think about it some more or to talk with others around you, feel welcome to pause. There'll also be invitations in the recording to pause and play a particular song or a song that comes to your heart around the themes we're exploring. And within this recording of worship, there are also pauses for prayer. I haven't lost my place when there is a silence. This is an invitation for you and for me, for us all, to enter into deeper communion with God. So as we begin, you might like to light a candle or to become comfortable somewhere at home. If it helps you to have uh, an icon or something to look at as you pray, you might want to set up that space. Or if you're listening while you walk, you might want to focus on a particular thing that you're seeing. God is ever present with us wherever we are, but often we're not present to God. So invite us all to take a moment to arrive. To take some deeper breaths. To take some slower breaths. If there are distractions around you where you're listening, you might just want to name them and move on from them and draw your attention back to this moment. And if in the stillness you find that you are really distracted by a particular thought, you might want to take a moment just to name that to God and ask for strength to let it go for now. Let's pray. Radiant God, blessed Trinity, community of love, holy mystery, holy word, holy flame. Even though fear is pulsing through our global village, we gather to you. You in whom we live and move and have our being, you who are the source of our life and our homecoming. Even though worry weighs us down, we gather to you. In Jesus, your love becomes personal. 
the coming one, who joins with us, bearing witness to our tears and bringing life out of death. Amidst the spread of coronavirus, we gather to you. In spirit, you continue to draw us to you, longing to birth love and joy and peace within and among us for the healing of our beautiful broken world. So amidst the uncertainty, we gather to you. Even though we are dispersed at this time, even though we are isolated from one another, now together we gather to you, community of love. Please scoop us up in your grace. We're still before you. Christ we pray. Amen. If you are helped to worship through song, I invite you to listen to God is Love, a beautiful hymn. There's an instrumental version on the website you can link to or you may have other copies or you may just want to read the words. They're incredible words talking about God's heart aching when the world is in pain and God weeping with us. And I think at this time and as we lean into the readings that we have today, it is a beautiful hymn. As we gather on this good earth, we honour the people of the Kulin Nation, the Wurundjeri people and their ancestors and their elders, both past and present and also those emerging. And we commit ourselves again to God's yearnings for justice and reconciliation. The ancient Psalms can be such a gift for us. I know that you can pick out particular verses and say, oh my goodness, that's full of violence. Why should we ever look at this text? But they are full of examples of giving voice to how we're actually feeling. There's no sugarcoating here. There are great celebrations and there is massive lament in the Psalms. And I think sometimes they can be really helpful for us, empowering us to name our own grief and our own yearnings as well as our own joy. And today, the psalm for the day is Psalm 130. And I think it speaks beautifully about longing for God, longing for hope to dawn. And I think for so many people who are stuck at home or are stuck in hospital, who are gravely ill, for people who are caring for others, this psalm, which is all about longing for new hope, um, is a really powerful one. So you may want to read along with me. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. 
O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Our Gospel reading is another really long one this week, and it's John chapter 11, the the first major chunk of that. And it's a really amazing story with Jesus and Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus who has died. And within the narrative of John's Gospel, this is really very close to the beginning of what we now call Holy Week, the beginning of the end, as people plot to kill Jesus in a state-sanctioned murder. And there's no other story like this in the other Gospels. This is a unique gift of John. And as I said last week, it's worth saying again, the author or authors, the author of John is not content just to do a recount of amazing things Jesus did on different days. Each time that there's an account of healing or new life given, as in the case today, what's important for the author is what does this mean about who Jesus is and what does this mean about who God is? Because in John's Gospel, the utter conviction is that Jesus is God made flesh. So what God looks like in person, not physically, obviously, but the way in which Jesus acts reveals the character of God. So we're about to hear it, but I just want to note one thing that's a tricky thing about John's gospel. In biblical studies, it's commonly assumed that the first audience, the person wrote to, the first people who were receiving this gospel were not familiar with Jewish customs or the author didn't think that they were. This is because the author at various points stops and explains things. So, for example, the Jewish word in a rabbi means teacher. If everyone was Jewish who was reading it, you wouldn't need to make that explanation, or most of the people. But by now, there must be, it is assuming that, or the author assumes, that there are a number of non-Jewish people who are part of this community. But there's more in this as well. Also, we begin to see this bizarre language in John's Gospel of the Jews did this and the Jews did that. This language is bizarre because Jesus is Jewish, Martha is Jewish, Mary is Jewish, Peter is Jewish, all the first disciples are Jewish, um, and later Paul, who comes um, as one of the leaders of the church, he's Jewish as well. So it's an odd thing to be saying these people are the Jews while pretending that the other people aren't Jews as well. What the language tells us is that for this author, by the time that they are writing, and it's most likely later than the other Gospels, the friction between Jewish Jesus believers, so people who are Jewish but believe Jesus is the Messiah, and Jewish people who do not accept Jesus as Messiah, the friction is growing. And it's probably beginning to um, impact on families. So there could be, you know, breaks in family ties and in communities as well. Possibly people are starting to begin to be um, excluded from worship within the synagogue. You know, we don't know all the ins and outs, but the tension is certainly increasing to the point where this author feels that it's okay to make this odd claim about some people being Jewish and some people not when they're all Jewish. Um, A lot of the times when the author of John says the Jews, he's talking about the religious elite and critiquing them and so you'll hear me adding some language around that when we read because it's important that we recognize this and it's important that we recognize the anti-semitic ways in which these texts have been read and have been seen as a way to justify vile hatred 
and violence targeted towards Jewish people. We really need to be super careful that we don't go down that road in any way because it's not of God. It's not of God. So as you read along at home or as you listen, remember Martha's Jewish, Mary's Jewish, Jesus Jewish, Lazarus is Jewish, they're all Jewish. This is, we're leaning into another conversation that the author of John is having with their community. I'm going to read to us John 11 and you might want to sit back. You might want to take note of what really strikes you, what you react to and come back to that in your own prayer time during the week. You might also want to let yourself imagine the scene unfolding as you hear it read. Where are you in the scene? What do you see? What do you smell? What do you hear? A reading from John 11 verses 1 to 45. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, rather it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, he's fallen asleep, he'll be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jewish people had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. 
And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jewish people who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jewish people who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the people said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out. His hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jewish people, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. For these words of faith and Jesus the word, thanks be to God. We're going to explore this astonishing story together, but before we do, I invite us to a moment of prayer. Precious God, composer of the universe, please, through alchemy of great spirit, breathe life into these ancient words for us. And may the eyes of our hearts be opened that we may see you, may see your risen life within and among us today. Through Christ we pray. Amen. I wonder what your first reactions to this story are. I wonder what questions it raises for you. I think there are probably many. You might like to journal or draw your reactions or questions either by pausing this or by doing so as you continue to engage and listen. So this account of Lazarus is operating on a whole lot of levels. On one level, it's a sign. It's a foretaste for the reality that Jesus is going to be raised after he is killed by the state. So it's like a hint for us all as readers. It's like a profound sign pointing to the reality that resurrection life is stronger than death and resurrection life is not just about some distant afterlife, but that God's resurrection life is breaking into our realities now. 
So Lazarus being raised from the grave points readers and listeners to the reality of what is coming next with Jesus. But this is not all that's happening in this account. It's a really full text. At the heart of this story are these two faithful women. These women, Mary and Martha. And they're described in astonishing ways in this story for the common era. They're women of means. They're well known. The text says that Bethany is their village, to quote the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, this is a highly unusual way of women being described in the common era. And even more than that, Mary and Martha are not described as someone's daughter or someone's wife in the text. They are people in their own right. Again, this is really unusual in the context of the patriarchal common era. And they're people, we're told by the author, who are loved by Jesus. They are followers of Jesus. They are disciples of Jesus. And here in this account, these women both engage in theology at the deepest levels with Jesus. Indeed, it's really striking here in John's Gospel that it is to Martha that Jesus reveals that he is the resurrection and life. And it is Martha who makes this astonishing declaration of faith. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Now this recognition that Martha has comes in the midst of all the blindness of the other disciples, of that Peter and the others not understanding who Jesus is. And in this story, we hear them thinking he's talking about sleep and like, why do you need to go and wake Lazarus up? There's this really big contrast at work here. While they're missing so much of what's going on, Martha is seeing and declaring her faith. What is at stake in this reading from Martha and for Mary is not their lack of faith in Jesus. That is not what's going on here. They fully believe in Jesus and in Jesus' healing power. Even more than this, Martha is the one who was able to actually see and recognize the astonishing reality of who Jesus is, the God one, the one coming into the world. What they discover in this encounter is not more faith, but rather they discover the wild and immediate implications of having faith in Jesus as the coming one. They discover more about what this actually means right now. So until this point, Martha, like many Jewish people at the time and many Christians today, believe that resurrection life is really all about resurrection on the last day or in the afterlife. But Jesus is daring her and us into a much bigger concept of resurrection life here. Jesus is saying in this theological dialogue and in his actions, resurrection starts now. It's not some distant future. It starts now. That is, that in Jesus, the coming one, the God one, the divine's liberating life and healing love, the divine energy that unbinds us and gives us new life is present now. So I wonder, do we dare to engage with this possibility, with this reality? I wonder, are we happy just to think about resurrection life as being far off in the next life, something passive for later on? Or do we dare, like Martha and Mary, to engage with the possibility that the source of all life Precious God, Holy One, Sacred Three can bring resurrection life for us, to us, within us and within our global village right now. 
do we dare to imagine that we don't have to stay locked in fear or anxiety? That we don't have to live bound by the wounds of our past, living in reaction to them? Can we imagine that God can birth new life, resurrection life, amidst the fear and the deathliness if we let God close to us? Can we imagine that a new life is possible here and now? I don't mean this in any kind of easy greeting card poxy way, you know, have faith and everything will get better or stay positive or onwards and upwards. None of that. I'm not saying anything at all like that. And the reason I'm so clear about that is because if we actually recognize what's going on in this story, we see that that's not faith. So I invite us to still in a tiny bit deeper and notice this thing that happens for Mary and Martha. As Mary and Martha engage in theology with Jesus, while Lazarus is still in the tomb, in the middle of their understanding of resurrection life being expanded, as they seek to have this really big conversation with Jesus about where were you, they do not put on a happy face. They do not conflate being faithful with pretending to Jesus that everything is fine. They have a much more rich understanding of faith. This is not self-help. This is not Christianity as try your hardest and you'll get through it. It is not that at all. In contrast, like Mary and Martha, I think they're called to be utterly honest with Jesus. Just like they are. They are utterly honest about their grief and their disappointment in Jesus. If you had been here, it wouldn't have happened. They let Jesus know about their feelings and emotions and thoughts about what has happened. They let Jesus into their grief and Jesus copes. In fact, not only does Jesus cope, Jesus sees their grief and does not dismiss it. Jesus sees their grief and does not chide them for their lack of faith. Jesus sees their grief and honors it. And even more, Jesus sees their grief and enters so far into the heart of it. Listen to this. When Jesus saw her weeping and the others weeping, he was greatly distressed. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. This is the God one for us as Christians. Jesus, the word made flesh, the divine with skin on. This is the one for Christians, for us, who reveals who and how God is. And here we discover that God is not afraid of our doubts or angry at our tears. God will not tell us off for being afraid or crying or asking, where are you? We discover in Jesus that ours is the God who sees our tears and grief, who honors our tears and grief and all our questions. And what is more, who enters into our tears and grief, weeping with us, making new life amidst this. I think in Mary and Martha we are given such a model for faithfulness. We learn from them that authentic faithfulness is about being honest with Jesus, the coming one. Bringing our questions and grief and tears to Jesus and letting Jesus meet us there with unexpected risen life. Because this is the thing. I don't think we can probably taste much resurrection life, experience much resurrection life 
while we are putting on a brave face to God, while we keep staying in denial and saying everything's fine, there's not a lot of space left for God to birth the new. As cases of the coronavirus increase around the world, as some international political leaders encourage a false, deadly hope of denying the seriousness of the virus and encouraging church attendance, we need the challenge of Mary and Martha all the more right now. The challenge to be real with God, to bring our tears and our doubts and our fears to Jesus and let Jesus meet us there. And like Mary and Martha, be ready to recognize and be open to the surprising resurrection life, the risen life of God's new age being birthed now within us and among us, within our church communities and within and among our global village. So, some wondering questions that you might want to stay with this week. I wonder when you were most able to name your grief to God. If you were brought up in a context where that was seen as an okay expression of faithfulness or was that seen as a lack of faith? So are you able to name your grief to God and when is that most possible? I wonder how you let God weep with you. And I wonder how you may pay attention to the risen life of God being birthed within you and among you and calling you into newness of life as well. You might want to stay with those questions this week. Amen. There's this song that's been uh, quietly coursing through me as I've been preparing this reflection and staying with this reading and it's Ben Harper singing I'll Rise. It's an incredible song of talking about God's resurrection strength and empowering in the midst of the deadly forces of racism. So it is grounded in the reality of suffering but speaks of the hope of God's risen life empowering us. And there's a link on the website if you'd like to listen. All around the world, there's what's often called prayers of confession, and we call them prayers of letting go at Richmond Uniting because in the New Testament Greek, aphaio, the word for forgive, it literally means let go or release, and it's the same word that would be used for releasing a kidnap or a prisoner or someone who was kidnapped. And this is not some exercise in a weekly guilt trip. It's an invitation for every single one of us to become aware of what's binding us up at the moment and where we need God's liberation. And again, there'll be stillness as we're all invited to reflect on what's happening for us. And as we seek God's strength, let's pray. Holy One, Sacred Three, in Jesus you come among us, calling us out of all that is deathly, out of all fear, into your risen life, here and now. And you know the truth of our hearts where fear or anxiety are suffocating us and binding us up. You know where we are living in the shadow of our past. You know where love is being withheld from you or from others or where we are not being loving towards ourselves. You call us to let you come 
close to us as we are in all our messy reality to see the tears to hear the questions so that you may unbind us so in the stillness we tell you our truth God, please set us free from all that binds us up, from all that is deathly, so that we can join in more and more in the dance of your love for all things. To Christ, the resurrection and the life, we pray. Amen. Hear St. Paul's words. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to God's self and not counting our trespasses against us. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So friends, hear Christ's word of grace to every single one of us. Your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God. I'm going to pray for our beautiful broken world now. Michael Looney, the Australian artist and poet, at one point wrote this lovely poem, prayer really, claiming that there are only two motives, two realities in life, love and fear. And I think he's pretty much right. If we dig deeply enough into our own actions and reactions, we might find that one or the other is driving us. And as our world is gripped in so much fear right now, I'd like to invite us into praying in a way in which we can envisage love coming from us, so divine love coming through us and then out through us to those we know and to those in the wider community we don't know and then actually reverberating across our global village, expanding in ways. So you might want to imagine that in some particular way, but in a world that is really gripped by fear, to imagine intentionally becoming a channel for love, coursing through you and then going out through you to others. We're going to conclude these prayers with an alternate version of the Lord's Prayer by Reverend Jim Cotter. And for Uniting Church people who are curious, it's actually included in Uniting in Worship too. And it speaks incredibly beautifully, I think, about God's embrace of our messy reality. And we'll have it on the website so that you can use it yourself if you'd like to in an ongoing way. So let's pray. God of love, you who honour our tears, you who bring new life amidst deathliness, we bring our beautiful broken world to you. Please may your love fill us and flow from us to all those whom we pray for. We begin by praying for those on our heart. Where there is fear, may love grow.
pray for those in our church where there is fear may love grow We pray for those in our wider community, those who have lost work, shop workers who are being harassed, exhausted parents who are working from home and parenting as well. Where there is fear, may love grow. Pray for all health workers, those on the front line, those in planning. Pray for scientists around the world. Where there is fear, may love grow. We pray for policymakers and politicians who are being asked to make extraordinarily hard decisions. May they be guided by compassion and not profit. Where there is fear, may love grow. And we pray for those who right now in this moment are really struggling, who are stuck in homes that are not safe for them, for those who have no housing, for those who are dying. May new life be birthed where there is fear. Please make love grow. And we pray, inspired by Jesus, life giver, pain bearer, love maker, source of all that is and that shall be, father and mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven, the hallowing of your name echo through the universe, the way of your justice be followed by all peoples of the world. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope and come on earth. The bread that we need for today feed us. And the hurts we absorb from one another forgive us and help us to forgive. In times of temptation and test strengthen us. From trials too great to endure spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For you reign in the glory of the power that is love, now and forever. Amen.
final blessing. It's been a, a real privilege to journey with you in this worship. Feel free to um, email with comments or thoughts. But a blessing for today and the days unfolding on the journey to Holy Week. Friends, in Christ Jesus we encounter the radiance of divine love in person. The one who births life out of death and healing amidst the pain. And the one who holds us in our tears. So go in hope and compassion, nourished by the source of all. And as you go, may the protecting circle of blessed trinity, holy mystery, holy word, holy flame, be upholding you, liberating you and guarding you. Amen.